It's a bit subjective. Sometimes it's hard to explain to other people why you know things. Well, how do you know? I just know. It's kind of objective truth, but with a subjective inner certainty that these things are true. That's what Christians should be like. We don't believe things because we feel things. We believe things because of truth. That truth has so captivated us, we know it's true. Do you understand that? It's not an intellectual thing or an academic thing. That's good news probably for some of us here today. It is a total, absolute assurance in the depths of our being that there are these things that we know. I'm reminded of this verse in Ephesians chapter 3, which I really, really love. And Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. And he's praying that they might know, it says in, 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 in verse 15, that they might know the strengthening power through the Spirit in their inner, inner being. And then he says the same thing, that they might know the love of God. It says in verse 19, to know the love of God, look at this, that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that interesting? There is a knowing of the love of God that isn't just intellectual knowledge. It's that we might know the love of God in the very depth of our being. I spend most of my life with Christians. Tragically, many of them don't really know that. They know God loves them. They sing the songs we've sung. But in the depths of their being, they're not sure. That's not good news. You need to be sure and certain and know these things deeply in our inner being. This confidence, therefore, is not based on our temperaments. Some of you are temperamentally not very confident. That's irrelevant. That's good news. You need to look happy about that. For some of us, it's, it, it's confidence not built on our personalities. Some people here today just have tremendously confident personalities. You know, the glass is always half full. Some of us think, well, temperamentally, my personality is not that. The thing we're talking about this morning is not built on personality or temperament or what we feel. And listen to this, please. It's not even based on what's going on around us. This confidence is from God. It's a confidence that he puts in us and grows within us as we mature as Christians. This thing that God puts into us remains whatever happens. Some of the most confident, assured, bold Christians I know are actually very timid people, humanly speaking. But there is inside them something which is God-given that seems to be almost immovable. This is really important because we live in a world of huge change and circumstances. And waiting for circumstances to change so that then you'll be confident in God never happens because there's another circumstance that changes. And there needs to be this confidence right in the midst of all the things that have been happening around. Now, I know enough about you as a church to know that over the last few weeks and months, some of you have been going through really difficult times. Some of us are confused, and some of us are saying, why, Lord? You know, people don't get healed of everything, and circumstances happen that kind of bash us and push us around and, and hit us. So these things that we're talking about are really, really important, particularly when you are perplexed. I don't understand what's good. Do you know that Christians get perplexed? 
They don't know what's going on around sometimes. A lady once said to me, I'm so perplexed. I said, well, thank goodness for that. You're one of us. It's kind of like she was saying, it. I'm a sinner, I'm perplexed. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, we are perplexed. I said to her, you're in good company. Paul was perplexed as well as you. Christians get perplexed. There are people here this morning who don't understand why things are happening the way they are happening. And if we rely on our feelings at that moment and what's going on, then that's not to take away feelings because they're really important. In fact, I said to Christians, when things happen, just you kind of let it have its effect upon you. The reality is that we need to know these things, as the writers of the Hebrews is saying and others, that just don't get moved around. Are you perplexed this morning? Are you saying, why, Lord? I don't understand what's going on. I pray this is a word of real comfort to you as you realize that actually there's something deeper than these perplexities that never moves, that never gets shaken, that never gets taken away. We're living in a world of constant change. We're living in a world which erodes our confidence. We face many, many uncertainties. I haven't talked much about the referendum since it happened because I'm always afraid I'm going to tread on someone's toes. Um, So why on earth am I doing it now? But here we go. The reality is this. This has nothing to do with the vote and how it went and everything. It's been interesting. I travel up and down this country. I, I meet loads of people who would leave and remain and all the rest of it. And it's going to take time for everything to unravel as a result. But it's been a time of real shaking. I mean, the, res- the week and a half after was the most exciting week and a half in politics I've ever known in my life. Because I never knew who was leading us, who was leaving, who was going, who was staying. It's been extraordinary. To be honest with you, I'm used to waking up in a country where pretty much life goes on as normal. It hasn't been like that since. It's like, whoa, what is going on? And people are genuinely shaken. It's kind of like everywhere you put your foot at the moment, the ground underneath shakes. People are really concerned, they're really worried, they're anxious. We're living in this kind of world of change and not knowing what's next, who's, we don't even know who's leading us. We don't know if anyone wants to lead us. It's kind of like all over the place. And then, of course, we're living daily at the moment. I mean, it is literally daily. We're not going to be surprised tomorrow morning to hear another bomb's gone off. We're not going to be surprised to hear another person's gone and shot a whole load of people. It's pretty awful. I mean, 2016 is going to be a year we're going to remember because it was dreadful. So it's bad news, shaking circumstances changing and unknown things. Here's what the Bible says about you. But we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And you know there's a part of that kingdom right in the midst of your being. Right there. Why? Because I think there's a generation that needs to see people like you and me who go through exactly the same issues that they do They're perplexed when a friend dies. Do you know what? Christians get perplexed as well. When things get shaken, they get nervous, we get nervous too. But there is something different and rock-like about us because of what God has put within us. And sometimes churches, you may feel that recently, whole communities go through buffeting and changes and we're kind of saying whoa, what's going to happen next? You know, when we come next together, what, what other news are we going to hear? And yet we've received a kingdom, and I love this statement, 
here's the statement of the kingdom, it cannot be shaken. So when you put your foot on this kingdom, who is Jesus and the kingdom he's building, it doesn't move. Circumstances change, governments come and go, friends, things happen to them we don't understand. It's not a time to looking at ourselves for the solution. It's reminding us there is a king and he has a kingdom and it cannot be shaken. I have to be really honest with you. I've been a Christian now for many, many, many years. Nothing like as long as Jack, but I've been around for quite a long time now. The reality is this. I'm shocked sometimes at how easily shaken I get. I'm, I'm kind of surprised how easily I get affected by things that happen. I've been kind of amazed in my own life how I go up and down. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that's like this, but I'm just surprised how easily I, I, I get kind of shaken. When I turn to the Word of God, I find that I'm not supposed to be like that. I find that it's, that it's something in me that hasn't really grasped the solidity of who God is and what he's done and what he asked. And I turn to the Word of God, and what I see is phrases and words, as we've read in Hebrews chapter 10, In fact, quite often in the Bible, words like confident, courageous, come quite frequently. Words like sure, certain. uh, Often the the person writing says this little phrase, don't you know? It's really interesting. I think he's telling us we should all know something. There's that word again, K-N-O-W. Don't you know? I think, well, maybe we don't. So the word no comes. One famous verse that Christians often quote is this, all things work together for good for those who love God. And sometimes it's kind of like a tablet we give to people. They're going through a really good time and we don't know what to say. And we go, oh well, all things work together for good. And that's not sometimes what that person needs to hear. But it's not the whole verse. It's what we often miss. Do you know what the first two words are? We know that all things work together for good. God wants us to know that that is absolutely true. It is true. And we need to know these things in our hearts. I sometimes try to say to Christians when they're going through some real wobbles and difficult times, uh, if you don't know what's going on and you don't understand it, run quickly to what you do know. And as the years have gone by as a Christian, I, I... I actually use the phrase, I don't know, more than I did when I was first a Christian. So the years have gone by, I felt I've known less. Dave, how can you explain this? And what does that say? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I've got atheistic friends, and they ask me questions. I said, well, I don't know. You got me there. They're expecting me to have an answer for everything. As the years go by, I just don't know. I don't know. It's a bit shame, isn't it? I'm paid to do this job, and I don't know either. <laughs> it's kind of like Christians need to be a bit honest about things. Do you know what? That's a really good point. I don't know. They respect you if you're being honest rather than trying to make up some quick fix answer. But I've realized that there are things that I do know. And when I'm in conversations, I say things like this. Do you know what? I don't know, but this is what I do know. I think we've got to be good at this. There's more and more we don't know, but there's a lot of things that we do know, that we are sure, that we are certain of, that cannot be moved from us. So let me give you, quickly, really quickly, four things that I think are unmovable, that you need to know in the depth of your being, that's based on the word of God, 
and certainly churches that I'm working with in this nation and other nations, I am passionate that they're full of men and women and young people and older people who know these things. Here's the first one. We know that God never changes. It's an, uh, we serve an unchanging God. Please look like this is good news. Try hard. We, I mean, can you, be, can you imagine believing in a God who changes? Just think about that for a moment. You woke up in a bad morning. Here's some bad news. God woke up in an even worse mood. <laughs> I mean, the fact that God's never in a mood, the fact that God doesn't change, is massive. And that's why Christians can face circumstances and perplexities and things they don't understand. Why can they do that? That's why Christians can stand firm when everything else is falling away. Not because we're good, strong people. We've just been singing, we're weak. He makes us strong. The reality is, we know. Turn to your neighbour and say, we know. We know. Just say it, it's important. There are things that we know. Here's one thing that we know. God does not change. If this isn't true, we've got no hope. He simply never changes. Malachi 3, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you are not destroyed. I think maybe this is my number one source of confidence, personally. I like confidence in a lot of things, but I just know this is true. You do. If you're a Christian, there's full assurance that this is true. We know God does not change. He declares it. It's our experience as well. Faith rises and we believe it. He is sovereign all the time. There's not a thing that happens he doesn't know about. He's all-knowing. And he has attributes, I love this, that simply never, ever change. And so when something happens and you say, I thought God was a God of love, he can't be because he wouldn't allow this to happen. That is a human way of seeing what's going on. Because the truth is, God is a God of love, and it's impossible for him to be anything else. And of course, on earth, from our perspectives, we think, how can God be a God of love when all that happens? But he is a God of love, and there'll come a day when we'll understand. I'm glad I don't understand everything about God. I really am. Because I just wouldn't be able to comprehend it. God knows. He's all caring, all merciful, full of grace, full of knowledge. He's unaffected by anything that happens that we are blown about. That's your God. And he wants you to know that that is true. People will let you down. Leaders will let you down. Churches have let us down. Friends that you thought would be with you forever are no longer around. They let you down. He never will because it's impossible for him to do so. The Bible says even if we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. A couple of things that come with that, just very quickly. Number one is his promises. So not only he doesn't change, but the things he says don't change either. That gives me tremendous confidence that whatever he has promised, he is faithful to those promises and he will do those promises. See, if someone makes a promise, so if Chris makes you a promise, are you sure that he'll keep the promise? So it's very unsure, isn't it? Or if I say, so the person who makes the promise, who makes the promise is really, really important. 
So if I made you a promise as a church this morning, I promise that we're going to do this by the end of the year. Some of you will look at me and think, well, I don't really know you. Some of you think, yeah, we're saying it now, but you might change your mind. Some of you are thinking you look a little bit old, so you might not remember the promise when it comes to about a month from now. Good point. God isn't like that. Every promise he ever spoke, he has no regret over any promise. And so when we think about the unchanging God who we know, and we think about the promises that he's made, they are also unchanging. And I think, who said that? It's God. Will he keep his promise? Yes. Will he be faithful? Yes. And the other thing is his presence. So we have this unchanging God that gives us amazing promises that never move, despite whatever's happening. And then here's an amazing promise. I am with you, always, unchanging. You might change, I don't change. I am with my people, his presence. Number two, you can know that the power of the Holy Spirit is all that you need for the Christian life. Christians need to know that. It's a massive subject, but Jesus returns to heaven and he's told them about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit will come to you. And this group of 120 people are hidden away in a room and they're frightened. They've locked the door. They're full of fear. These are the people that are supposed to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Chapter 1. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them and the transformation is so remarkable that in chapter 2 they're out on the streets and they're proclaiming the gospel and signs and wonders are happening. And the only difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is a person. And the person is the Holy Spirit. And they knew (laughs) that when the Spirit came upon them, they had the power to do things that they could not do in their their own strength and their own efforts. As Christians, we need to know that the Holy Spirit has come to be our helper. And we need to not only know that God is an unchanging God, we need to know that Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. And Jesus is 100% confident that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and comes upon us, we will be equipped and resourced to do everything that God has called us to do. Do you know that? So I've sat on Alpha tables doing Alpha with, um, w- with non-Christians. By the way, Liz is an amazing Alpha table leader. I am the worst one that's ever been... Because people... St- I am. She stopped, she stopped me halfway through leading this Alpha course with seven or eight non-Christians because I just want to answer all their questions. You're supposed to kind of... You know, so who do you think Jesus was? Well, I think he could have been a spaceman from outer space. And I'm going, hmm, good point. I'm thinking, I want to tell you the truth. So I got kicked under the table and I... It's no good. And there comes a point in things like Alpha... When people are actually getting really close to believing, and then certain little things happen <clears throat> in their thinking, one of them is this. If I became a Christian, and they're looking at us, they're thinking, I don't know if I could ever keep this up like you. We're all sitting here thinking, if you just give your life to Jesus, cross the line, you make a massive discovery, and discovery is this. It's not up to you to Christ- keep the Christian life going. He gives you the Holy Spirit, and that's what makes the difference. It's so infuriating sometimes. People look at us as we were, we're special. No, we're not. The Spirit has come upon us. We know that that is true. The church needs to know that the Holy Spirit 
is the answer for everything we face. Which is why the Bible says, walk by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, keep be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing in the Christian life that we can do where we don't need the Holy Spirit to help us. People who become Christians are addicted to all kinds of addictions, alcohol, drug dependency, all kinds of things. We have watched them over and over again over the years as the Spirit has come upon them. See, the reason people get into drugs and things is because there's an emptiness inside. It's filling the emptiness. When that is filled by the Spirit, there's no desire anymore. And so he is amazing, the Holy Spirit. You know, we're all looking at Acts chapter 1 thinking there's 120 people. How on earth again? Jesus is the one person that's not bothered one bit because he knows as he walks the way, the Spirit who he promised will come upon them and will make all the difference. I can't understand the Bible without the Spirit. I can't even worship without the Spirit. I can sing songs. Anyone can do that. But the Bible says you must worship in spirit and in truth. I can't pray without the Spirit. You pray without the Holy Spirit. It's rubbish, isn't it? Ten minutes seems like an hour. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you include him, an hour seems like ten minutes. Where did that go? He makes all the difference. Everything, you know, I'm a father. I need to be filled with the Spirit to be a father. Um, I'm married. I need the Holy Spirit to help me in my marriage. I mean, witnessing to my friends. It just goes on. I can't think of any area of the Christian life where we don't need to know that it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. Every time there's an opportunity to depend on the Holy Spirit, take it because he is your helper. I have an American brother-in-law and he, over the years, has had the habit of being completely wanting everything that God has got for him. He goes forward at every, every opportunity, if there's any need for prayer, he goes forward. And uh, except salvation, because he's worked out you can only go forward for that once. But everything else, it doesn't matter what it is, he goes, and I've watched him over the years. I was in a meeting once and there was, a, there was, a, there was like this morning, there was a, um, a, a kind of word for healing. He goes out the front. He gets prayed for. He comes back. And I haven't said anything to him for years, but I thought, I've got to say something. Art, it's tremendous that you went forward for healing, but I know there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. What on earth are you doing? He said, oh, I went forward for general maintenance. <laughs> and I just thought, that is such a good idea. <laughs> it's kind of like an attitude, isn't it? I can't live this Christian life. The Spirit of God has come. Someone's praying. Can't we get more of the Spirit? You need to know that you can't live this Christian life on, the, on your own. But you need to know the Holy Spirit who has come to enable you to do that. Number three, we know that the church will succeed. What a statement. David, open your eyes. There are 90% of people in this country that aren't even bothered about going to church. You're losing ground. The battle seems to be won over and over again. You know, what was it, this, this, uh, the statistic this year was there are now more people who claim to be atheists. They don't believe in God. Then there are Christians. First time that's ever happened. The reality is, you're talking about a church, there are buildings closing all over. The, there's buildings all over Liverpool that once were filled with people, and now they're closed. They're gymnasiums and they're factories and all sorts of other things. So you say, well, we know the church will succeed. Well, it's back to a promise. Jesus said this, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You think, well, can he? Yes. Will he? Yes. Ephesians chapter 1 says, and he is appointed head over the church, 
the fullness of all that was filled with the fullness of him who filled everything in every way. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. The future is all secure. The battle's all been won. Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. And he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You think of sitting down as a bit passive, probably. Oh, Jesus has done his bit. So Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father and says to all of you, okay, I hope you're all right, see you at the finish. Hope you'll be okay. I want you to imagine that Jesus actually has sat down, but he's actively involved. The sitting down is the signification that the, the battle's been won. The victory is won. The church will succeed. There's no doubt in our hearts that that will happen, 100%. But he's not left us. So the Bible says that he ever lives to intercede for us. That's not passive. He's sitting down praying for you, praying for Freedom Church, and praying for his people in the nations of the world. He's the one who fills his church with his presence. He's the one who baptizes us with his Holy Spirit. He's the one who lays foundations. He's the one who saves people and adds people. So most of my early Christian life, I used to hear about China. And the statistics we heard was that Christianity in China has been crushed. It's kind of like it's just over, it's finished. Little did we know that over the last 30, 40 years, and before that actually, God was doing an amazing work to the extent that China now is potentially the most evangelistic nation in the whole world. You think, well, the devil's trying to completely wipe Christianity from the nation of China. It's illegal. Communism is the God. And one day God blows on the whole thing. And it all reverses. It turns around. He is not passive. He is actively involved. And I know that the church will succeed. I've been to the back of the book, actually, and I've seen that the bride of Christ is there. (laughs) See, she wins. But we need to know that now. And this Jesus who sat down is actively involved. He's actively involved in Freedom Church. More than you know, he's doing more things here than you know. Because he's the one who's doing the building and not your leaders. Is that good news? I think so. It's a little bit like four years ago, Mo Farah, when he won an amazing race, run two races. We were watching him yesterday. He doesn't seem to have changed. Four years later, he's winning all over again. But I remember sitting, watching the television screen, and Mo Farah came around that final bend. And apparently, in the stadium, people started to stand like this. So they're kind of in their seats, but they're kind of like... I think it's a bit like that with Jesus. I think he's sat down and he's watching you. And he's watching your life and he's watching the church and he's watching the nations and, and he's just building his church and he's actively involved because it's going to succeed because he promised it would be. And I remember when Mo Farah cut round, I mean, I'm not in the stadium, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting watching the television and I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm going, I think he could do this. You know, there's other people, I think, we, we think, and all of us in the room are going, come on, come on, come on, come on. Mo Farah didn't win that race. The British nation won that race. <laughs> we lifted him up and carried him over the line. It's kind of like, come on. And the closer he got, the more we believe. That's what Jesus is like. He sat down. Wonderful. I'm so glad he sat down. Because he's not panicking. He's not thinking, oh, statistics, the future of the church in the UK. This is a disaster. Why didn't you tell me about it? He knows absolutely what's happening. Fourth and final is this. We know that the gospel really works. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, don't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I think it's a bit of a confidence crisis at the moment in the UK, certainly from my observation about me, from many churches where you know, people are kind of, they know the gospel, they love the gospel, but they're a bit kind of, can we really, can we really preach this gospel to people? Listen, the gospel, which is good news that we proclaim, is offensive. I think you just have to get over that. We will talk to people about the gospel and they're, who are you to say? That's a good reaction. It tells me that you've told them the real thing. And it is foolish. I think the Bible's already told us that. Sometimes you think, I'm saying these words and it sounds so ridiculously simplistic and rather stupid. And they're going, well, that's foolish. I think, oh dear, the Bible actually said it was foolish. (laughs) And so this gospel that we believe in will offend people. It will not, there's never going to be a day when it doesn't offend someone. Unless you water it down. So they don't really hear what's being said. And because it's foolish, we can make it more intellectually acceptable to people. So, oh, good point. I think I might think about that a little bit more. It does offend. It is foolish. It will be ridiculed and we will be despised. That's why Paul says, don't be ashamed. Do you know why he says that? Because it's dead easy to be ashamed of it. He says, don't be ashamed. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to utterly transform people. Let me finish with this. Paul was a a brilliant intellectual of his day. He really was. He could take on the philosophers in Athens and give them a real hard time. He was a brilliant man. He could have changed this gospel. He could have kind of of made it more palatable to his hearers. And though he was brilliant and though he was an intellectual of his day, the one thing he knew is this. I'm going to keep on preaching the simplicity of this gospel. Why? Because philosophy intrigues people. It never changes them. Every time I preach this gospel, transformation. So I'm going to keep on preaching the gospel because he knew, got the word again, he knew that the gospel had the power to change people's lives. And as the years have gone by, nothing changes people's lives like the gospel. Please don't water it down. We have a guy in our church, his name is Sam. And at the end of last year, he was rushed into hospital because he thought he was going to die and the doctors couldn't find out what was wrong with him. It was really serious. He's got a wife and a couple of kids. He also is um, a guy who's hated Christians all his life. And to the extent that he's dug into Christianity and completely disagreed with it and then went off into humanism and atheism. To the extent that in our locality of South East London, he is the head of the Humanistic Society and the Atheist Society as well. So this is not someone just, look, he's, he's passionate about it. That's how he's lived his life. Atheism often means you live life at the extreme. So he had become someone addicted to many drugs. He had an alcohol problem because he wanted to, there is no God, so come on, let's be. And this is going to shock you. And he was also a deputy head of a local school. You think, my goodness, is it that supposed to be respectable? But that's, that's the life he was living, right out there on the edge. A womanizer, I mean, just way out there. He goes in the hospital, he's rushing to the hospital, he's lying there, thinking he's going to die. Doctors can't find out what's wrong with him. He's really in bad shape. Seriously. 
And he says, his testimony is this, he had this thought. Do you know any Christians? Do you actually know any? And he knew someone from 15 years ago that he'd never met. And from his hospital bed, he phoned this. Can you imagine hearing from someone 15 years later who was already renowned to be the greatest, and I'm a Christian and he's an atheist. I mean, the Christian must have thought, oh no, what have I done? He says, this is really weird. He says, I'm in hospital, I think I'm dying. You're the only person I know that's a Christian. Is, is, is it real? This guy, I mean, amazing. I don't even know who this Christian was. Goes round to the hospital and leads him to Christ in the hospital. This guy repents of his sin. He gives his life to Jesus. It's amazing. Somehow, his name got put into our church and he came along <laughs> on the first Sunday morning. He was released from hospital. He got prayed for like we were praying for people this morning. His health restores. He gets better. He comes to Jesus. He gives his life to him. He gets delivered from drug addiction. He has no longer any desire for alcohol. Stops womanizing. His wife can't cope with the transformation of his life. Seven, eight months later, Sam's still going like mad for God. He's just absolutely amazing. And guess what? He retired from being the head of the Humanist Society and from the Atheist Society as well. I, I don't know any other message that does that kind of thing. The guy is utterly, utterly transformed. And it's amazing to see that happen. Every Sunday I look at him and I think, he's there on the front row like this, I'm thinking, <laughs> back, in, back in December, you didn't even believe in God. This is the gospel. We know that it has the power of salvation for those who believe. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes just for a moment. Lord, I pray this morning for every one of us in this room, whatever our background, if you are someone here this morning that's not a Christian, I want you to know today that your life can be totally transformed by the good news of Jesus and you can have a relationship with God that can fill your life and change you forever. If you are a Christian here this morning, God's will is there's something stirring in your heart that in a world of massive change, in circumstances that can throw us and even affect our faith, that we are confident, full of assurance, hold on unswervingly to the things that we know to be true. And I pray that Freedom Church will be full of people as a church community, that they would know that they're following a God who does not change, that they would know that the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient for everything we need in this life. That many of us here today will know that the church that Jesus is building will succeed because he's promised. And then finally, we will know that the gospel, foolish um, and ridiculed though it may be, and offensive it may be, we cannot afford to water it down because when, like Paul, we preach it, lives get totally changed and transformed. Lord, I pray you will bless anyone here today who's going through a really shaky time, just been thrown a bit lately by circumstances. Would you this morning show them that deep in their being there is this certainty and knowledge that all is well. I pray for Freedom Church that it will go from strength to strength and make an enormous impact upon Liverpool, together with our brothers and sisters in all sorts of churches and denominations, but we'll play our part too to really see a remarkable transformation of the society around us. 
I believe, Lord, we're surrounded by people who have no idea what tomorrow brings. May they find you. And if possible, find them even through us for who we are and what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen.